This is The Life of Tri, powered by Triathlon Magazine Canada. I'm Phil Rockner. Let's go talk to David McNamara. So this, your, your uh, interesting cat, David, uh, nice to chat to you, mate. I, I, it's, a, it's a really... It's an interesting time for a lot of people. Yourself, uh, certainly in in one of the epicenters of uh, a really weird and 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 concerning time. How how are you? First of all, and how have you been going the last forty something days? Yeah, personally, I'm going good. Especially starting this week, professional athletes are allowed to go back outside to train, which for me is a big big mental relief more than anything. The last the seven weeks having to stay basically within my flat was it was an experience it's an experience I never thought I'd have in my life but yeah towards the end it was very difficult to be honest so just having that escape now of being able to get some fresh air is yeah it's a wonderful experience what was Liberation Day like? I mean, you're you're based in Girona, correct? Uh, yes, I have lived here now for five years, and my partner's from here, so hence why, for sure, I was going to be staying here and not flying back to the UK during this crisis. So, yeah, Liberation Day was yeah, it was a beautiful thing for the city. Well, it's it's isn't it? I mean, Spain has really copped the the brunt of it, hasn't it? I mean, it's the numbers are really shocking when you see the what's going on, and and you know, Spain having so many people, all not just contracting it, but also um, you know, dying from it. Have you come across a lot of the emergency services and things like that, or are you quite well insulated from this? Uh, unfortunately, yeah, like. Unfortunately, some of my neighbours have died, which, to be honest, it sort of really shocked me in that I'd only seen them like the previous week and they were completely healthy. And then to find out all of a sudden that they were no longer with us was, yeah, that's that was a big shock, to be honest, and that's when it really sort of, the reality of the situation really sort of hit me. And yeah, it really, yeah, it took me a good couple of days to sort of get my head around that. Does it make the isolation somewhat more, I guess, not easier, because it's not, but certainly just gives you that sort of sense of perspective as to why you're, you know, you're in, you're indoors? Uh, definitely. Uh the situation here in Spain, thankfully, is a lot better. But yeah, it was very dark at times, to be honest. And especially here, the hospitals were running out of a lot of equipment. For example, my partner, she makes wedding dresses for a living. And mm. at one point, she literally just had to start making face masks for the hospital because they had none left. So she basically spent eight, ten hours a day making face masks because we just didn't have any here in Girona. Wow, it it brings it fairly rapidly home, then, doesn't it? Definitely, I think. Yeah, Girona's 
a very small place. There's 100,000 people here, and it's a very sort of tight community. And yet, I think the sort of the reality really hits here very quickly, especially when I compare it to obviously my whole family is in Britain, and I speak to them, and it's it's like they're very much living through a slightly different experience than we have here in Spain. Was it, and it was complete lockdown, wasn't it? It was not leaving your house at all. It was only for like literally the essentials like taking out rubbish and things like that. Yeah, it was complete lockdown for seven weeks. Uh, for me personally, I could leave to go to the supermarket to buy things or to go to the pharmacy. And that was basically it. I think in seven weeks, I never actually went further than three, four hundred meters from my flat. Wow. Um, and how tightly was that police? Was that was there a huge uh, police presence around or was it generally people were being left to their own? Uh, initially, there was a lot of police. I think, to be honest, at first, it was just difficult to sort of, I know it sounds stupid to really sort of comprehend the fact, like for me, Exercise is something that I've always just taken that I could do for granted. All my life I've been told it's something that's beneficial for me. And then mm. to be told that all of a sudden, no, what you're doing is actually, it's illegal now and you will be caught and fined. And it was very heavily policed, especially at the start, because here in Spain we generally live in flats so we're all very close together it's a lot easier to police we aren't spread out so yeah for sure there was a big police presence which is sort of getting reduced now but yeah in general everyone here has very much respected the laws and i think it was just because how badly spain was affected mm. there seems to be too i think across the world give or take a few countries, but there's that self-policing element as well. I think that the public are doing a, a, you know, from what I can see. And again, in Australia, we're different too, because we are, we got to stay on what they call a stage three lockdown where, you know, exercise was still permitted outside. Um, and we're at that level at the moment. I mean, you know, I surfed this morning. It's wasn't not near what other countries have got to um, with what they're doing. So I can only, sort of guess to that but certainly the self-policing element is something that we see a little bit of you know in our hometown which is a very small coastal town where people are just making sure other people are doing the right thing and not going backwards and saying hey you probably don't need to be doing that right now yeah and i think that's sort of similar to what i think people in britain are doing but very much here there's a lot of police presence and because it was like a complete total lockdown there was literally nobody on the streets like even on my odd walk to the supermarket you would see nobody so yeah it was very apparent if you're doing something you shouldn't be and yeah to be honest it just felt like very much living in a ghost town for seven weeks yeah it's it's weird what we're seeing too all these uh emerging animals coming back into the urban landscape and you know, the canals of Venice are starting to clear up and there's a real, yeah, there's a real thing going on around the world of, of just, you know, nature reclaiming part of what it used to have. And 
the world starting to rejuvenate in certain areas. It's um it's been really interesting to see and and I guess be you know you guys in the epicenter in Europe you know have had to sort of go right through that. Whereas we're almost spectators in this. I think. No, definitely. I think it's very much. Yeah, each country has been sort of affected very differently from it. Uh, here, obviously, it was sort of very difficult, but it's nice to sort of be out and, yeah, to be honest, it's the first time in seven weeks I actually feel like an athlete again. It just gave me a sense of sort of purpose again, you know? It's just, it very yeah. much felt like I was, like, unemployed for seven weeks, to be honest, there. Yeah. And how hard is that? How hard, like, I mean, it's, you, you can dial it into a point and, you know, obviously there's been that, I guess there's the, you know, the VR races and all that other thing as well. Um, how, how weird is that? I mean, you are involved um, and your Twitter account, for those who are not following, um, get onto at David uh, McNamee try. It really is it's worth it. It's just worth to have a bright spot in your in your Twitter feed. I mean, I follow a lot of American politics, et cetera, and you're the bright spark, Thank without you. a doubt, mate, with uh, what you put in. But you talk, you do talk a lot, and you, and you kept a day by day update, which I found fascinating. Which is why we're talking now. And it, it, how much did that social media element help you? Um, you know, I guess cope with what was happening, and also you know explain to people who are outside of the country. For sure, especially the Twitter was, yeah, it very much helped me to sort of feel sort of still part of the endurance world and just society in large because as much as I love my partner, uh, seven weeks together, there's only so much you can talk about. It's a test, isn't it? <laughs> it's very much. And, like, honestly, in seven weeks, she was, I think, in that whole seven weeks, physically face-to-face, -face, I only ever spoke to one other person, and that was someone that I met in the supermarket. So, for me, it was very isolating in a sporting context. Yep. And obviously my partner was making the masks and stuff, so she was focused on that, and that was great for her to have something to focus on and to feel like she was doing something to help others. But for me, at times it felt very sort of lonely and sort of frustrating. But by doing the Twitter, by doing even the Ironman VR racing, it'll at least made me feel sort of connected to the sporting world still because yeah as much as I was trying to keep sort of some sort of shape by training indoors it's very lonely just doing it by yourself because even generally if you're training by yourself outdoors at least you're passing other athletes and yeah yeah you just Literally, I suppose that was it. You know, for seven weeks, I basically spoke to one person and that was it. And I guess too, like, I, you know, reading the, you know, the, the stream of things that you, you've put up, um, the Swift and, and the VR stuff has been for you, I guess, as you said, that connection. But how has it been adapting to that? Like, you know, for as you said, for your entire life, you've been a swimmer and you've then transitioned into triathlon and you've had this, you know, amazing 
last few years um, where you've shined over in Kona and and how's that all of a sudden to be sort of that locked down and then this virtual style of racing? For me, it's been, yeah, a very much U-turn to be honest on it. Like my manager actually works for Zwift and two mm-hmm. over two years ago, he, he set me up on the platform and I used it for 10 minutes and I said, sorry, Richard, this is shit. Like, I'm never <laughs> using this. Yeah. And for two and a half years, I, I never even looked at it. And when I saw, like, the videos of Lionel using it and stuff and Yan using it, like, I almost felt sorry for them. I was like, that, they're <laughs> really sad. Like, they're getting so excited about stupid virtual reality cycling. Like, yeah. I felt pity for them. But I was wrong. <laughs> like, this is it. Like, I've grown to sort of really appreciate it. For me, it was great in that it's a great training platform. But for me, it was, it allowed me to have that connection still with sort of the sporting world. And yeah, yeah. for me, it was like a really great lifeline to have over the last seven weeks. And even now that I can cycle outdoors, I still choose to do some of my sessions indoors. And yeah, this morning I did a session on Zwift, which, yeah, I'd have probably hit myself if I'd thought about that a couple of months ago. <laughs> it's truly bizarre, isn't it? Like it's, are you, like, were you much of, I mean, clearly not by your, your description, but even just in general tech and things like that, are you kind of a tech guy? Like, I mean, obviously you have to have some degree of balance when you're in triathlon because it seems like that. It, I don't know, like I always thought that triathletes, if it if they think it's going to help, they just jump on it generally. Age groupers froth on anything that just looks remotely like it's going to add something to them. But are you one of those people? Do you, you, you know, do you get excited about the release date of the new or the next new thing? Or is it more just, you know, this is what works and I, I like that and I have a comfort, comfort around that? No, like very much. I've always been sort of very basic. It wasn't until like three, four years ago that I even started using a GPS watch for swimming or biking, to be honest. Like before I started in Ironman, I was sort of top 10 in the ITU series and I didn't even own a GPS or a bike computer. Like, yeah, I very (laughs) much just trained on, like my cycling program is based on like, I would just try and ride 16, 17 hours a week and I'd go and do some bike racing during the week. I never did power. I never did watts until I switched to Ironman. And even now, yeah, I'm still not a tech guy. I use power, obviously. I use GPS running. But yeah, I definitely... I've never been a massive geek about the tech for me. And this is the strange thing with Zwift is that I've always just loved being outdoors and just being in the world by myself outdoors, just sort of training away and just sort of, yeah, just losing myself in the moment. Is that a, is that a swimming thing though? Is that a, is that you like, I know you, you spent many years chasing the black line and, Interesting too, and as a little segue to that, that your um, that I did sort of look at um, and see that your 
heroes were the likes of Grant Hackett and, and Ian Thorpe, two Australian swimmers who are legendary. I mean, Thorpey, everybody thinks is still a genius and I think Hackett has had some pretty rough days. Um, but athletically speaking, the guy was mighty. Um, how did So how do you stumble on two Aussies to sort of look out to? I don't know. I think sort of like growing up, I think when I was very much into swimming, it was when Australia were probably going through that golden era where they had so much mm-hmm. success, especially around Sydney Olympics. And yeah, I don't know. I yep. think sort of like as a young Brit, you look to Australia and it's like such a far away destination and in your head, all people do is sort of surf all day, have barbecues at the weekend and they swim a lot. That's how it works. It's Based, exactly what it does. And that was it. And then you had sort of Ian Thorpe and Grant Hackett who very much dominated their sort of, yeah, their sport. Like Thorpe was a revelation. And then Grant Hackett was incredible to watch over the 1500. And just to see that sort of effort that he'd put in, it very much sort of resonated with me. And yeah, I suppose... That was it, to be honest. I was very much, these are my idols and these are the guys that I want to be like. It, it took You said it took you 10 years to realise that you weren't any good at swimming. When did you realise that, you know, triathlon was your thing? I mean, adding another two sports to what is already a demanding one in swimming to be, a, you know, to be a world-class swimmer is obviously a huge deal. When do you find out? Like, what, what, what's the light bulb moment? I think very much early on in my triathlon career, I knew I probably had more talent doing this sport than I did at swimming. Mainly because, like, I think swimming is such a great platform in that you have such a big aerobic base from, like, swimming 60,000, 70,000 metres a week when you're, like, 13, 14. And then I switched to sort of triathlon and everybody kept on saying, oh, when you switch over, you'll struggle. Like running such a hard thing. Like it takes you years. But I never really found it. I actually sort of very much, now I'm known more of a runner than I am a swimmer. And I suppose that was it from very early on. I was competitive in the run. Whereas everyone had always told me, like, you will struggle especially for the first two or three years until you can learn how to run. Whereas I just never really ever suffered that sort of, yeah. I always just had that ability to run. Does your, do your Kona performances, which are, you know, translate to, to career defining moments for yourself. And I guess for any other, I mean, you make the podium in Kona and uh, you know, you're certainly, well and truly entrenched in that elite unit, but um, do do your do you get surprised by that, or is it just do you have a, obviously everyone's got a self belief? But that first time that you pick the podium, is that a surreal moment, or are you expecting that? No, no, that was that was a very much a surprise to me too. I knew I was in very good shape. Yeah, but yeah, I remember very much getting off that bike and running with Patrick for the first sort of 15 kilometers until he dropped me and sort of ran away for victory. 
But just like running along the Queen K and running past people into the top 10, into the top 7, into the top 5, and very much having that sort of... You're going through hell. It's incredibly difficult. But you're also unbelievably excited about what's happening. Like you are literally hanging on for dear life, but you are so excited. And then to be honest... I never, it wasn't until the last three kilometers that I passed Sebastian. And even then, I, I never really, even though I passed Sebastian, he was looking very bad. I never really believed that, that I was thud until I hit the carpet. Even though I had like two or three minutes lead on him by this point, mm. I still lived in fear that he was somehow just behind me. <laughs> and yeah, it was just—it was just one of those sort of surreal experiences where your body's at the limit. You're in sort of this pain that you want to end, but you're also just excited like a kid at Christmas because that thing that you've always dreamt of, and something that maybe I've, I dreamt of as a young child when I, Grant Hackett even thought were my heroes, but after so many years of failure for it to actually be happening, I think I'd almost sort of like gave up dreaming about it a little bit until that moment. This, the, the psychology of that the last 10, well, the psychology of leaving with someone like Patrick Langer, who obviously, you know, has that ability like yourself. I mean, your slowest marathon in Kona is what is a two forty nine is the slowest. I mean, that's insane. Um, but you know, your, um, the psychology of leaving with him. And then when you find out, as you said, you, that this is actually happening and, and trying to like process that, did that take a while after the race? You know, that first time, I guess, cause it is the, 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 the tumult of finishing would have been enormous and the, the amount of, you know, backslapping and press and everything else. Is that a whirlwind or is it, fairly vividly etched in your mind no for me it was a whirlwind but i was i was in shock like i couldn't really process it i was happy about it but i just i struggled to express it like i remember the following night being at like the party and stuff and mm. i enjoyed myself but it wasn't like something like it wasn't like i just came third the day before and like something i'd worked towards all my life had finally happened. Like, I always will remember, so Glenn Murray, who's a photographer, uh, Corrupt Vision, mm -hmm. who's married to Liz yep. Blatchford. Yeah, yep, we know Corrupt. I've known Corrupt for like 10, 12 years. And I remember him saying to me at like the party, he was like, dude, you, like, you're a very relaxed, chilled guy, but at this moment, you should be effing happy. Like, we love you to bits, but this moment, like, if somebody <laughs> congratulates you for going third in the world, don't shrug it off as if nothing happened. Like, yeah. that was special. But even, like, those words, it just, I knew he was right, but then I was like, ah, oh, but, you know, I like this and this. And then the following night, me and my friend who was with me, we went diving with the manta rays which is one of those mm -hmm. must-do things. And there we were. There was, like, a group of, like, 20 of us, and you have to sort of float in the water holding on to basically a rubber ring with your head in the water waiting for the manta rays. 
And I think that just sort of being in the water, sort of, you're almost like lost in your own world. All of a sudden, like, I was like, I finally just like clicked what happened. And there I was like screaming underneath the water because like it finally had just sunk in. Hmm. I was just like that sort of release that actually it did happen. And yeah, I suppose, yeah, maybe I'm not describing it the best. But yeah, there was a moment, yeah, that it just sort of clicked almost of what I'd achieved. Yeah. Because it's, it's quick, isn't it? Like we, I've worked the media pit there at Kona ten years, and it's like it's from the instant you cross the line, it's hands, and you get you know Mike Riley doing his thing, and then you go back, and then you sort of recover, and then there's a million backslappers, and then you off to the presser, and then you know the press conference is another sort of it's, a, it's not a zoo like a PGA, but it's, there's fifty people in there all wanting your time, and there's TV and everything else. I mean, it really is a blur. I would imagine. Uh, that it, it does take a while. But going back to defend, like as a podium and going back and then having that sort of, you know, is is it harder? Like is going around again, does it make it more difficult? And is, is there a change in the psychology of, of how you approach? Like someone said to me once, it might have been Chris McCormack or someone like that who said, you know, people get a big result in Kona and they change everything. They change, they get they feel they have to make a change. Did you do that or did you just go business as usual? No, when I came back uh, in 2018, yeah, I very much, for me, it was business as usual. Uh, I knew what my strengths and weaknesses were and raced to them. The only difference is, is that maybe other people sort of look towards you to say like cover gaps in the bike because they don't want to work for you anymore. And yeah, I suppose I never changed the high race, but I think other people maybe altered their plans when they saw me at times. Yep. And then you, you get back onto the run again. And how is that? Like, is it, are you flashing back or, you know, how constantly are you, um, you know, I guess, checking in with previous or is it all just in the moment stuff? Oh, it's very much, Hawaii is very much in the moment. And even for me, I very much, like, I don't even think about the marathon, for example, until I'm off the bike. And even on the marathon, it's very much about getting through, like, each sort of 5K section. And, yeah, I think sort of the one thing I'll always remember in 2018 was passing Javier Gomez on the run because, yeah, I raced Javi for like eight or nine years in ITU and never once did I even get close to passing him on the run. Like, in triathlon, Javier was very much the guy that I looked to. Like, my heroes will always be Grant and Ian Thorpe. But very much in triathlon, Javier was a guy that I respected. He was very much like the guy that I wanted to be. And it was great to sort of get to race somebody that you respect and really sort of idolize. But then to sort of be running past them was, yeah. I just couldn't really believe it, to be honest. Like, yeah, in my head, it was like, no, no, that's, that's like the Javier Gomez. He's uh, I saw him race a seventy point three down in Geelong, 
last season, this season before, and just him watching him run is is something else. That cat can move like nothing else. So I guess um, now with all bets off with world sport and, and now there's talk of, you know, Kona running, being run twice next year, um, February and then through to October, is that realistic? I think it's realistic. I believe it's been done before. I think very much we have to accept that we have to adapt and do what's best for our sport. Like, the ideal situation is gone now. Like, this sort of situation we face, there is not an ideal scenario. It's very much we all have to adapt. And if world championships have to be run twice next year, then, yeah, well... Obviously, I'll be there twice. It's not ideal, but I'm a professional athlete. I will do what's best for my sport. And yeah, like it's very much we have to adapt to what we face and we have to sort of get together and actually work as one in sort of getting our sport back on track. Do, do you feel that with the PTO and their... Um... I guess revamped because when when they first you know showed their face a few years ago, that was all a little bit haphazard, to be honest. Um, do you feel now that they and again with what they've done during the the, the lockdown process, do you feel that that's obviously going to be a fairly significant factor in 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 helping the pros? You know, as you said, you know, be professional and and and, and get what they need done. Yeah, of course. I think anyone that brings money into the sport. It's a very good thing, but it's also brought in a level of organisation for the professional athletes and what they're doing now with regards to trying to sort of promote every athlete. It just sort of, it's just trying to elevate us up to the next level. And I think now it's sort of, they've got, I don't know if I can swear, they've got their shit together and you can swear all your life perfect. i know canadians are very nice people you can... <laughs> so we've got we've got but isn't it what isn't it what was required though isn't it it it, it almost I'm, I'm kind of like you having been in the journalist like you know as a triathlon journalist for, for a number of years and watching the pta fumble fumble around now i feel like their shits together and as you said if you inject cash on top of that and put a couple of people in there with time to 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 do what they need to do maybe we are going to see some change which would be amazing because of how hard the pros work i know very much so like yeah let's be honest at first it was just as if they were just writing angry tweet every so often and that was it yeah and i'm like well i can do that like i don't i don't i can do that easy enough whereas now (laughs) that they've got their act together we as athletes have bought into it we very much think no no this is sort of this can actually sort of move the professional side of the sport on. And yeah, I very much support the PTO. I'm a member. I think now they're very much doing a lot of good within the sport and hopefully, yeah, I'm sure it will continue. Yeah, it really needs it. it I mean, obviously it needed. I mean, I follow the surfing around the world pretty closely and, and from those guys, guys going from a 
you know, a bunch of bong heads to where they are now with their corporate sponsorship, their proper world tour, their rankings and all that, those sorts of things that make a sport. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I always think it's odd that you, someone says, oh, who's the best Ironman athlete, triathlete, who's number one? And you go, well, this guy won a world title in October. And I'll say, yeah, but it's May. And you go, yeah, I know. But, you know, it's, it's an odd scenario. And I think tightening some of those things up would be great and getting the, you know, someone with some money and some, Nous behind it is good. Your Twitter feed, as I mentioned earlier, had a couple of disturbing tweets in it, which I wanted to ask you about. Um, you you tried to make your own alcohol. Now, this is on your birthday on the 20th of April. Um, you tried to make your own alcohol. Now, is this a prison thing? What happened? Well, this is like we still have it. It's lemon cello. So this was this wasn't even my idea. Randomly, this is my girlfriend's idea. <laughs> Which my girlfriend doesn't drink alcohol really. Like you have yeah. to, like for example, like every evening right now, I pour out two gin and tonics. I generally oh, drink both way. of them. Like she doesn't <laughs> drink alcohol, but I think she's seen this in like I don't know, like a YouTube video or something. So right now we have mm. like five liters of limoncello, and now we're just waiting for like smaller bottles to come so we can give it out to people. But again, like none of her family drink alcohol either. Right. And it's just like, is it good it's, stuff? It's okay. Like, I think it's one of these things because it's like we made it, like, we think it's a lot better than it is. Well, I think, like, I think it's a lot better because, again, like, my girlfriend took like one sip of it and that was how done. She's like, oh, it's really nice, but like, that's how done. So, yeah. So, yeah is it the kind of stuff they after you know three or four of them actually it all tastes okay yeah yeah this is the, let's be honest uh but yeah it was just like one of these like random ideas that she had i think i think just sort of having to put up with me for seven weeks was not a good thing no you might have turned to the drink um now you started baking too so i'm curious what was what was the first thing that you got involved with with the baking i started baking scones just because oh, it's, very a, good. it's like a very British thing. I don't usually miss much about Britain. But I think, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, just being in the lockdown and stuff, I just sort of had this sort of craving for scones. <laughs> so yeah, I asked my mum for the secret recipe, which she sent in, in like yep. an encrypted email. Yep. And yeah, I baked scones, which they were okay, a bit of a disaster. Like, I've never baked before, really. So we had like none of the equipment. Like there's no scales or anything. So it was very much right. sort of like hit and hope. And yeah, yeah. It, it was okay. It wasn't the best, but yeah, you put enough jam and cream on top of anything, and it tastes not too bad. Well, that's right. Now the the um, the homemade pool and TikTok did not get a start. That's disappointing. No, no, the TikTok was. My girlfriend's been trying to pester me for like six weeks about TikTok. I don't, yeah, at times like I feel inspired. I'm like, yeah, we'll do it tonight. We'll do it tonight. But it's at the point where like, even when I tell it to her, she knows I'm lying. <laughs> and yeah, like the whole, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, the homemade pool, sadly, I just didn't have the space. Uh, but now that I can sort of move around a little bit more, my girlfriend's, Uncle has a house with a little pool in it, so I will be getting some 
bungee cords and trying to see how I swim after seven weeks without it. That, and that's the trick, isn't it? I mean, with the world starting to slowly emerge from this and, and restart itself, et cetera, it's um, what what do you are just in a wait and see? Obviously, races getting postponed and everything. There's no plan. It's hard to obviously have one. So, what's what do you see unfolding in the next you know few months for you? Uh, the next sort of well, the next month is just getting back to sort of trying to get some sort of routine going. And just enjoying being outdoors and enjoying that sort of process of getting fit again. And then, yeah, I think there'll be some sort of racing in September. I don't know at what level. We might even have like some local races in Spain for Spanish-only athletes. And thankfully, I'd be allowed to do that. So for me, it's very much sort of in my head, aiming to be come September to be in some some sort of shape to race, and mm-hmm. it will take a couple of more months to figure out exactly what that race will be. Well, it's um, yeah, it is a watch and see, but uh, mate, it's been a absolute joy to spend thirty five minutes having a chat. It has flown by. Um, your uh, your Twitter account, if you guys are listening and, and want to get on board, um, absolutely well worth it. Um, it's at David McNamee Try, and uh, not hard to find him. It's some really good stuff there. Some very good insight as well into Europe um, and your situation. Again, uh, you know, really feel for your neighbours and and what your um, whole area is going through at the moment. We're um, certainly uh, hopeful that things will start to turn for you. But, mate, fantastic to to chat and look forward to seeing what uh, you come up with uh, later in the year and, and maybe the double Kona next year. Perfect. No, that, yeah. Double Kona, double victory. No. <laughs> you, heard it, you heard it here first. Yeah. That's easy. Oh, God, that, 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 that'd be some dreaming. Yeah. Thank you very much, mate. Cheers.